The questions you always had. The answers you were never given. The place to seek the truth. Welcome to Veritas. What is the soul? In many religious, philosophical, and mythological traditions, the soul is the incorporeal essence of a living being. Soul, or psyche, comprises the mental abilities of a living being. Reason, character, feeling, consciousness, qualia, memory, perception, thinking, etc. Soul, in religion and philosophy, is the immaterial aspect of essence of a human being, that which confers individuality and humanity, often considered to be synonymous with the mind or the self. Tonight, we explore the soul. Do some people have reptilian souls? And is this why most of our leaders show a lack of empathy and compassion? If you're open-minded and want to know more, stay with us. You are listening to Veritas. If this is your first time, welcome home. To listen to tonight's full interview and all of our material, join the Veritas family and click on the subscribe button at veritasradio.com. You can make your purchase with a credit card, PayPal, cash, check, money order, and even cryptocurrency. We are now accepting Bitcoin, Litecoin, and Ethereum. Don't forget to visit the Veritas store for Focused Life Force Energy, MMS, CBD Pure Hemp Oil, Divinia Water, Pure Organic Sulfur, Flash Drives with all our Sanitas and Veritas Seasons, and other great products. And if you want to get in touch with Mel, want to be a guest on this radio program, have a guest suggestion, or have feedback, just click on the contact button of our website at veritasradio.com. And if you're listening on YouTube, like, subscribe, and share it. And click the bell to be notified when new interviews are available. And now, here's your host, Mel Hostelrick. Gary Peter Carlson has had an interesting life filled with ups, downs, detours, but most importantly, a lot of enlightenment. Gary and I have corresponded for years, and it's time to bring him on. Instead of reading his biography, I will let Gary share his story. His website is icheckyoursoul.com. Gary joins us directly from Long Beach, California. Hello, Gary, and welcome to Veritas. Finally, how are you? I'm great. Oh, this is Gary Peter Carlson saying, nobody is anybody until you've been on Veritas Radio. <laughs> That's very nice of you to say. But as I said before, you and I have corresponded for, what, a few years now, right? Yeah, yeah probably. Uh, I probably joined your deal when it was about three years in or something. Wow. So almost a decade with me. And I, the interesting part is that I always, just like, for example... Our friend Vic Giza, he's a, a graphic artist who lives in Mexico. Every week he sends us a comic strip. And I always, I like, like, a, like a kid, I'm always expecting his his comic strip every Thursday morning because that's when he sends it to me for, to be you know ready for the afternoon. The same thing I, for some reason, I do with you. After maybe a few hours, a few days after an interview is done, I'm always on the lookout for Gary's email because I'm curious to know what he's going to tell me about the person, about the talk we had, and uh, very interesting. So after so many years, I thought, let's bring him on. Let's talk about his story, which, by the way, I didn't know a lot of it until now. So why don't we begin with your story in chronological order, Gary? Okay, well, I was born in Chicago and lived there for 
the first uh, two years of my life, which I remember one thing, getting an electric shock or something behind the couch with a toy wheel on the plug or something. <laughs> That's all I can remember from the, those years. <clears throat> I, I think I, I'm told that I took the bathroom door apart and locked my mother and brother in there. <laughs> Uh, which was a big problem at one point. <laughs> they had to yell out the window for someone walking by to come and help. <laughs> but anyway, uh, then we moved to, my dad was in plastics, uh, vacuum forming, kind of, it was like a new thing back then in the uh, 50s, 50s or whatever. We, we moved to Michigan First in the Thumb of Michigan for a while, uh, Emily City, I think it was called. And then, and then we came to the Lansing area, and I stayed there and grew up. Uh, my mother and father divorced when I was seven, and my mother remarried shortly after that. And I lived on a farm in, in to Lansing. <laughs> but it's rural, you know, I had small farms and stuff like that <clears throat> and a city part too. But anyway, most, most of my childhood, I hung out with my older brother, 16 months older. And <clears throat> we explored the area all over in the woods and fields and rivers. And we were always catching uh, turtles, frogs and snakes a little bit. <laughs> We had nets and all this fancy thing you could get back then and, and knew all the secret places to go and steal somebody's boat sometime a little bit. <laughs> we had a lot of fun back then doing that. And I played with some of the neighbor kids too, uh, touch football and stuff. I went to 12 years of Catholic school. I, I didn't really like that too much. Uh, the nuns were... Some of the nuns were really mean. Uh, they had it out to, to try to hurt kids. They wanted to hit and inflict pain on kids when they uh, when they wanted to. Sometimes you didn't do anything wrong. They just made it up. I later found out that some of the, at least one of these nuns had a reptilian soul. So she was an evil person. My mother raised hell with the school and even got a nun kicked out once. Anyway, I, I was pretty good at single sports like golf and bowling. I was the uh, most valuable player in on golf when I was a senior. But we didn't have a real good golf team, so it wasn't uh, didn't mean I was a fantastic player, only a good player. But I continued playing a lot of golf in my adult life. I tried college. I went to Michigan Tech University. I planned on majoring in mathematics. I liked that. But right after I got there, I was kind of schooled into that's not a good major. You can't do much with it after you graduate. And this is an engineering school. And everybody there, there was like, I don't know, three, four, five kinds of engineers, mechanical, electrical, civil, mining, and maybe something else. Uh, so I switched to mechanical engineering right away. But by about the end of the second year, I just wasn't getting there, and I quit. 
I tried another college where my brother graduated to work on the big ships in the Great Lakes. And I didn't like that, and I quit that that right away. And then um, I was kind of lost in life, so I joined the military. I was like 21 then or something like that. And they said you could go wherever you wanted and pick your job and duty station. They had a, that was the deal they had going for recruiting at that point. So I went through the deal and I, I said, well, I want to go to Hawaii. And they says, well, we don't have anything in Hawaii. I got real high on the entrance exam. I was like 98% or something like that. I was pretty smart. Wasn't the smartest guy, but I was among the, the real smart people. So the guy said, well, we don't have anything in Hawaii. And I said, well, I don't want to join then. I said, that's what I wanted to go to Hawaii. And, and then the guy, wait a minute, wait a minute. We'll check things out a little more here. And the guy looked at my score and he says, well, we got two choices. You can be an atomic demolition, a munition specialist. Or you can be a laundry and bath specialist. And I picked a nuclear weapons one, which after I got there and went through it all, I realized was a mistake. (laughs) It would have worked out better to pick the laundry and bath specialist. Uh I worked on two small nuclear weapons that were obsolete even when I was in on it. They could blow up a large bridge or something like that or big buildings, and he could set them off by radio, wire, or timer. Where, where did they send you if it was not Hawaii? I, I went to Hawaii. I went to oh, Hawaii. so you did go to Hawaii. Okay. Yeah, yeah. They, the guy said, well, wait a minute. We'll check things out closer. And then they found two jobs in Hawaii. I could have worked a laundry and bath specialist at Tripler Hospital. Or I picked a nuclear demolition and munition specialist at Schofield Barracks. Okay. They had another big army base right near there, Fort Shafter. They had, on Oahu, I think they got like uh, 20 bases, all kinds of little Air Force bases on every little corner. They got Pearl Harbor and Hickam Air Force Base are two big ones. But they got Barber's Point and... I don't know, all kinds of little ones. Uh, but I, I and, and it worked out real good for me. Uh, right after I got there, I figured out body surfing, which you had to learn it. It wasn't, it isn't something you can just easily do. Something you had the skill you had to learn. I got a, took me a few months and, and then, and I also signed up for scuba diving in my time off. So I I tried to get every moment I could away from the army and go either body surfing or scuba diving, mostly body surfing and, and some I did some snorkeling and free diving, spearing fish and stuff like that. I wasn't the greatest at that, but I was I would swim out to the third reef and swim down about twenty five thirty feet and hide behind a ledge. And then let the buoyancy slowly float me up. And as I peered over the ledge, if there was a close by fish, I would shoot it and, and we would cook it on the beach. That came up a little bit. That was fun. Mm, Mokalei Army Beach. 
has that uh, one one side of uh, Oahu. He, he tried not to click on the pen. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, that's not a good move. <laughs> that's fine. Um, so, what happened after the military, or did you? Is there something of relevance that you learned while at the military? Um, probably nothing I can really explain, but. I learned a lot of things in life from being in there and about people and all that. I was, I, when I first got in there, I was trying hypnosis on everybody. <laughs> I was working out. It was kind of fun. Uh, but I didn't gain anything from it. Didn't, didn't know anything about past lives or any of that stuff or nothing I know now. Well, you could do some goofy things. But, yeah, uh, when the military was over, I maneuvered to have a few thousand when the military was over. <clears throat> and, and I had a friend waiting for me in Las Vegas. And I, I went to Las Vegas and planned to be a professional gambler. <laughs> and I didn't know hardly anything. Uh, you know, I read a couple poker books, uh, you know, what's the order of the hands and stuff like that. But but let me interject for a second. So how, how did you, I presume you were honorably discharged from the military, right? Yeah, completed so, for three years and one month. I extended for a month and then got out after three years and a month. So what Honor. what makes someone leave the military and immediately think, I'm going to become a professional gambler? You know, <laughs> I don't know, but that's, I played some poker in the military. And everybody was bad, but there were some cheaters and hustlers. And I, and I got taken at one point a little bit but I won most of the time and I just thought that I I could do good at it you know before I was going in there I was hanging out with this guy and we were reading these gambling books and gambling systems and stuff this other guy I knew that I bowled with you know I did a lot of bowling too uh even in a mill one time at one point in the military I was in the league all seven days <laughs> Uh, but anyway, um, I, I thought that would be a great life if, if it would work out. And when I got there, I told the people I met when I first got there what I was doing. And, and they walked away laughing, you know, thinking this guy's an idiot. He ain't, ain't going to get there. Um, and then about six months later, I was better than them. And they realized they were wrong. This is what year? And this is Vegas, correct? Yeah, I got there in, in January 79 with about six grand. And and, and they, they had two small games, seven-card stud and, and limit hold'em. And, and, and for some reason, the rake was $3 in stud and it was a $1.50 in hold'em back at the Mint, which was attached to the horseshoe at that point. So I said, all right, it's better to play Hold'em. <laughs> the house take is less. And then uh, I eventually, uh, this one guy, he dropped a $20 bill. He was trying to get a poker seat. And he dropped a $20 bill on the floor. And I'm sitting at the game in a chair. And it's like right sort of behind my chair, a little bit to the side. And the $20 bill is just laying on the floor. And then him and the brush man, which is the guy that seats you in the poker, teach you in a poker game. They walked away to get him a seat somewhere. So I picked up the 20 and I thought about it for a minute or so. 
And I says, well, I'm doing good. I'm not broke or nothing. I'm going to go give this guy back his 20. So I did that. And the guy became friendly with me. And uh, we ended up moving in the same apartment with me. And 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 he was into uh, card counting and blackjack. So he taught me how to do that. We we spent hours at the kitchen table practicing blackjack. So if he hadn't given the $20 back, this wouldn't have happened. Yeah, <laughs> I, would, I would have missed out on that. Maybe I would have found blackjack some other way, but it's doubtful. But this guy gave me step-to-step instructions on, on how to play it, how to how to card count the cards going by and make the strategy changes when the count goes up or down. And, you know, it was all in a book. You, you had to just memorize the tables in the book and then practice the cards, you know, to count as the cards go by. Twos through sixes are plus one, seven, eights, and nines are zero. Tens and aces are minus one. So if you go through the whole deck, it'll come out to zero. But along the way in the deck, if you got a plus count, that means more little cards have gone by and there's more aces and tens left. And that's an advantage for the player because you, you can get blackjack. Uh, and if you both get a stiff, which is, which is uh, a hand 12 through 16 where you could take a hit and go over and lose. Uh, if you both get a stiff, you could, the player could stay on his stiff. And then the dealer would likely get a 10 card and go over and the player would win. Uh, so the player has an advantage with more high cards left. You got three to two on blackjack and you could split pairs and double down and all that stuff, which was an advantage to the player. How, how many years and how much money, if you don't mind my asking, did you spend doing this before they cut on cut on to what you were doing? And I'm thinking of the movie Rain Man. Remember Rain Man? Yeah. Any similarities to what, what Rain Man used to do and what you you, you did? Yeah, there's some of it. There's some parts of it, but some of it is bullshit that work out. I I, I don't remember. The movie was so long ago. I don't have a. I remember they, they had the guy that was mentally challenged and he could do mathematical things and follow the deck. And He was autistic. Yeah, follow the six decks and tell the guy when to up his bed or whatever, something like that. And they had it where he could win for sure or something, I think, in the movie. And that don't come up. What comes up is you get a, you, you get a 1% edge on the next few hands coming out. Uh, and anyway, you, you try to get a 1% edge on all the money you bet. And you, and you try to bet a uh, hundred hands an hour, maybe a hundred dollars a hand. You try to get 10,000 bet per hour in a bunch of hands. And with a 1% advantage, uh, oh, you're, you're going to win a hundred dollars an hour. You know, 100 is 1% of 10,000 or whatever, I think. Um, so you, so you, you try to play as many hands with it, with an overall advantage. You know, sometimes you got a disadvantage and you bet real small. And then other times you got an advantage. And by how big of an advantage it is, you would bet higher. You'd, you'd, 
you take your bankroll and divide it into 500 parts. And for every half percent advantage, you bet like two hands of one 500. Uh, and then if it went to 1%, then you would bet uh, two two hands of two units of one 500. And you could get up to 10 units if you had a 4% advantage toward the end of the shoe where all kinds of extra tens and aces left would come up. So anyway, you'd, you'd up your... You'd, move your bet up and down by your advantage and you could keep track of all that perfectly as you went along and and, and probably uh 20 percent of the people you know could learn to do it it wasn't it isn't you didn't have to be a super duper smart guy to, to do it but you did it about over, you did it over a thousand times and, oh, actually, you were caught how many times? Eventually, after eventually after a few months, and you win a few times, different floor men uh, would spot you as a card counter, and either either tell you you couldn't play anymore, or they'd alter the game so you couldn't win. Did you rotate hotels, or did you stayed mostly in the same place? No, I tried every casino in the world I could get in. <laughs> okay, so you it's not like you stayed there for an entire week playing the same place? Um, no. Well, I just lived in Las Vegas. I'd have 10000 in my pocket and walk up and down the strip and get in a few hands here and a few hands there. And That floor man knows me. I can't play there today. And I'll come back on his day off. <laughs> How would you find his day off? You would just Go there every day until you, you found out that he didn't show up on Tuesdays, for example? Yeah, and sometimes we had lists and shared information. So Mr. V is real sharp at catching card counters, and and he works Tuesday through Saturday uh, on uh, noon, noon through 8. So don't don't go in there then on the Riviera or whatever casino. Uh, and... <coughs> So then what? You said all over the world. I thought it was only Vegas. You actually did this all over. Uh, Tell me where, what else? Where else? I went to Korea uh, and um, Macau. And then, and then uh, all over the Bahamas and the Caribbean islands. I Be went to Carousel and Aruba and I think some other places. But Atlantic City... And then there's other, and then there's Reno and some other small places in Nevada, but mostly uh, Reno, Las Vegas. Atlantic City was the best. They had the biggest betters and the most money and the best rules in the beginning. They had this rule called early surrender where, where you, you could look at your two cards and if you didn't like them, you could throw your hand away and get half your money back. Uh, before the dealer checked for blackjack. Interesting. In Vegas, they got surrender, but the dealer checks for blackjack first. And if the dealer has blackjack, they take your money. And and then if they got an ace or ten up and they don't have blackjack, now you can surrender, but it's not so good to surrender knowing they don't have blackjack. You know, it changes it. Like, like against a ten, you would... You would surrender, or against the ace, you would surrender 12 through 17 against the ace. 
But if they check for blackjack, you would only surrender 16. Were you playing blackjack and, and, and hold them poker and the rest of it? Or were you just focusing on one game first and then you had to switch to something else? I, I, I was a hot shot in blackjack and travel all over. That lasted about a year and a half to two years. And then after that, I was known all over and all kinds of casinos everywhere made big adjustments against card counters. Uh, they used to, they used to have four decks with three quarters of a deck cut off, and toward the end you you'd have all kinds of advantage and bet real high occasionally, and then later they all went to like six decks and three decks cut off, and then uh, card counters could hardly win much. It wasn't worth doing. You you would have to play in such a way where it was obvious what you're doing. You know, bet like w one hand on one chip. And then when and, and almost all the time, and then once in a while when the deck got good, you would try to bet 20 chips. By the way, I'm told that most casinos now have face recognition technology at the entrance of each casino. So if you were to go there now, do you think the alarms would go off on you? No, they don't know. They, it's been too long. But, but, but if I knew how to win and, and they figured out I did, They would immediately have me pegged for the all over. Yes. So well, how how many years? Same outfit, like like one side of the strip owns six casinos. So if they pegged you in one casino with that face recognition, they would send that information to information to all their casinos. Well, I bet you it's worldwide now, but yeah. because they're in the same industry. So from since nineteen seventy nine. Blackjack's dead. They don't offer a good game anymore. Why is they that? They want to be only six to five on blackjack instead of three to two, and they cut off too many cards. And then some games are it, it has automatic shuffle where yeah. it's shuffling the whole time, where you can't even count cards because right. you're playing with a few shoe, shoe every time. I wanted to ask you that. You know, I'm not a gambler, but you know, if I go to Vegas or any other country and there's a casino, I like to play blackjack and poker sometimes. But I noticed that. That if you, if you, for example, you saw that, you know, a few blackjacks right at the beginning, you really can't tell what's going on because it's shuffling all the time. Yeah, then it's, yeah, you could get the same cards. You, you could get the ace of spades and then two hands later get that same ace of spades again, probably. Right. So from 79 well, till when did you do this? Probably till 81. And after that, I was playing poker. And occasionally something would come up in Vegas where the casino was making an error in something like Keno or craps or anything. They, they would put some promotion or some rule in uh, where, where it was stupid for the casino and real good for the players where they would try to entice customers. And I would get the information on that from friends and then go exploit that until they took it down. So, so okay, from 79 till what year were you a professional gambler? I would say probably till 2010 or even 2012 I was playing a lot. But I didn't do very good after 2005 when I had this, uh, got hit by a car as a pedestrian. Okay, so that's what I wanted to ask you after. So for yeah. almost 30 years, you actually were a successful, and that's what you, how you lived, that, that was your livelihood? Yes, yes, definitely. Uh, 
I, I did whatever. Once in a while, I went broke from uh, drinking and drugs and stuff. And I came back home, stay with my mother in Michigan and took some odd jobs, works or some work or something like that. And then within a short time, I headed back out west. So you blew the money away, basically. Yeah, I, I saved up some money and cleared my head or whatever, and then went back and started playing again. So some people who are listening to us right now are, might be saying, so Mel, why do you have Gary on? I mean, what what what's interesting about being a professional gambler, but it gets better, folks. So what happened in 2005? You get hit by a car, and could this, and maybe your addiction, could this have anything to do? Because sometimes you say, oh, my, my, my speech, you know, I don't know if I can make it to your show because of my speech. Is this what caused this, in your opinion? Oh, yeah. Yeah. It, it, well, when it, when it stopped me from, from doing well on gambling, I, 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 did, I worked in a casino some before 2005, too. Uh, and, and, and some one of the two of the jobs were playing poker, but you got paid extra money, which made it real good. But you had to play in harder games. But anyway, after 2005, I struggled in life uh, because uh, I couldn't win big in gambling. Yeah, but what happened? What happened in 2005? I, Tell us about that accident. Well, I went to cross the street. I'm not sure. I thought someone pushed me, and a car coming by hit me. And I, I ran into the side of the car, uh, and I hit my... Uh, right side of my head and my right arm. So I bashed my head in and broke my right arm, but there was no open wounds. But when my arm healed, when my arm healed, one of the bones didn't grow back together. There's two bones down your forearm and one of them had a gap in it. So they had to open up my arm and put titanium in there to fuse that together. So now I can't, quite straight in my arm out, but pretty close. Do you think it had anything to do? I did, lost part of the vision in my right eye. Did this have anything to do with your gambling? Do you think somebody may have tried to push you? No, it, it had to do with, uh, with drugs. Okay. It had to do with that. I, I, I don't really want to say a whole lot on that. Okay. So what happened after the accident? Then you still were a professional gambler for a few more years, and then you quit. Why did you quit? Um, because uh, I was in contact with my spirit guides in dowsing and opened my website. Uh, Saturn returned for the second time, and I had a spiritual awakening. And I found out that I could help humanity and dowsing by uh, getting information about the soul. But where did you obtain your experience when it comes to dowsing and and learning about past lives, hypnosis, and all that? Okay, when when I was a child, I had heard about hypnosis, so I asked my aunt, who was a book person, she had a house with a a bookshelf on every wall in the whole house. That <laughs> was amazing. It's like a library. And I asked for a book on hypnosis. I wanted to learn self-hypnosis to improve my life. And 
I learned how to hypnotize people with the book. And and then the book was the pendulum. And I tried the pendulum, and it worked right away. I'd hold it still, and it would start moving uh, on my questions. I thought, this is great. But, but I thought, you know, big deal. Everybody can do this. It's, nobody knows about it, probably, but everybody could do it, and so what. I thought I was uh, contacting my subconscious mind. And then, I, and then I dried up for a while, and I didn't try it for about five years. About every five years, I tried it for a day or so. Uh, and sometimes I tried to find missing things with it, and that, that didn't work. I never was able to help me find the missing things. And so I never went anywhere with it. But then in 2010... When I was spiritually awakening, I went to this uh, David Wilcox conference. He used, to, he used to have a weekend conference in a different city every once in a while. I think several times a year, maybe almost every week uh, at, at times. And he would teach everybody about spirituality for three days or something, two, two days or something like that. So I went to one of those. I showed him I could douse, and, and he gave the look like a big effing deal, so what, and walked away like it was, didn't mean anything. Uh, and that kind of made me determined to accomplish something with it. And shortly after that, I'm using the, the pendulum, and I asked, am I communicating with another entity? And I got a real strong yes on that. And, and, and that really hit my mind. I had never asked that before. And, and I was really wowed over. Uh, and then I uh, was learning about ascension. I didn't know hardly anything. Just a little bit I learned through the Dave Wilcox conference about being polarized positive. And so I asked the pendulum, can, can I find out if someone else is polarized positive? And I got yes on that. And I said, well, this is fantastic. I can surely help humanity with this. I got to open a website. I didn't hardly have any money at that point. And, and I decided that uh, if I can open a website for under 200, I'm going to do it. And it worked out that you could. Now you can do it free with a couple companies. Um but I think it's better to pay anyway if, if that if you're thinking of opening a website. But it's not real expensive. And, and um, I I was overwhelmed by the typing and putting some content on it and all that. I had this friend that could type real good, so so I uh, dictated all kinds of stuff for him to type. And I got a few pages going on it and, and kept expanding it more. And I quickly invented this soul score, your percentage of love and service to others versus service to self. And I, and I made it out the same as the polarizations, like it said in the law of one. Uh, if you're, if you're over 50% positive, you're polarized positive. So for me, that would be a 51 soul score or higher. And I, 
ask the spirits, you know, all the rules on the soul scores. And they told me it goes two to 69. 69 is the highest and two is the lowest. And five or less is polarized negative. So I start doing soul scores on everybody. And I was subscribing to this uh, Ben Fulford's comment, uh, Ben Ben Fulford's blog that comes out every Monday for years and years now. I've, all, I've joined that, I think, maybe back in 2009 or something. So you can write anything you want in his comments within reason, uh, and you can advertise whatever you got going. And so I would advertise my website in there every time, and I would advertise for for me to check people's soul scores. And some people would give me lists and stuff, and it didn't come out real good in the beginning. I mean, the person would get back to me, this guy helps everybody, and you gave him a low score. And this guy over here is a mean jerk that nobody likes, and he got a high score. What's up with that? Let me let me interject here, because this is one of the things that intrigued me the most. Sometimes I would interview someone. I'm going to leave the names anonymous, but you would say, you know, if I had a good perception, but then you would say, oh, this person is a reptilian, has a low score. And then someone who was more on the darker side you would say, oh, this person is, is, is positive. And that somewhat confused me. Yeah, there, there could be errors in there some. But, I mean, I was trying to say that there was a lot of errors in the beginning. And then shortly after that, different entities to help me came in. Or, or the people that were answering it got help from the right people or something. And then the score started being way more accurate you know they went from like 50 accurate which is not accurate at all you know sometimes half the time i was right and half the time i was wrong that's not any good and and then it, it went to like 90 95 accurate which is probably what it is now it might be it, it might be the best as it's been right now you know it's constantly improves as you get a better relationship with the spirits. But isn't this somewhat subjective? I mean, you're telling me that it's 95% accurate, but how do we know? For example, when you use the term ascension, you know, for years I've heard that term. And to me, sometimes depending on whose mouth it comes out from, I always wonder, is this a new agey term to make us forget about our real problems to give people hopium that maybe next year, maybe the next decade. And I, right. I just don't like to give people false hope. It, it, that's definitely involved in it. They'll, they keep telling you it's going to happen and it don't happen. What I learned, first of all, what I learned is there's two kinds of ascension. There's ascension, there's ascension for the solar system you're in, and then there's an individual ascension for each person. Now, I was going to get into how the souls work in the universe. And, and part of that is a solar, there's third density and fourth density for the solar systems to be in. And, and the solar system can only be in one of those. That it can't be in both. But in all the other higher realms, you can have all those along with it. But in, in third density, I 
I mean, there's some backup or backstory that we're missing here. But half the souls have empathy for others and half the souls don't. And that includes uh, half all the plants and animals and half of all the intelligent beings. Is this because we live in a in a polarity or duality world and they have to work that way? Yeah, yeah. That that that's how the universe is balanced by half the souls have an empathy for others and half the souls don't have empathy. And that's what balances the universe, believe it or not. And it took me a long time to figure that out. And that that seems to be really important. And and in third density you can have both kinds of souls. And in fourth density, only souls with empathy for others can go in fourth density. But then fifth through ninth density, they both, all of them go and advance all the way up. But there, there's just that one density where, where you lose the non-empathy. And then all of a sudden, space has very little negative people in it. Still some, but probably 5% instead of 60%. I think in third density, over half is negative and almost half is positive in outer space or the other beings. And, I have a question. Then, I have a question. I don't mean to interrupt you, but I think it's, it's important to leverage. Back in the year 1900, we had approximately 1.6 billion people on planet okay. Earth. Now it's over 7 billion so a lot of people who come here, they talk about how our souls get to be cycled. We are born again because it, you know, we're learning a lesson all the time. So my question is, if we have 7 billion people now, where did those souls come from? They, they came out of the over souls, come out of the creation star, and they go through first and second density. And then they advance to third density and they're brought to our planet when new souls are needed. So this notion that we repeat right here on Earth makes no sense to me then. Yeah, we have all, somebody that's born on Earth has all their lives on Earth. Unless they, uh, unless they, they can become a star seed for one life to try to make ascension. Well, that's my question. Then what happened with the other 5.56 billion people who were not here in the year 1900? Those souls that were not here in the year 1900. They're, they're 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 new 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 souls. New souls. They're they're new souls. They're they're just starting their cycle. Okay, so define a soul. What is it made of? I mean, we've heard of this. Uh, I believe if so, how many grams? If you've seen that movie, I forgot the twenty-eight grams. I believe when somebody dies, it's usually the yeah, way twenty-eight grams that, less. Yeah, I don't know how truthful that is or whatever, but. So souls, there's two ethers that surround that surround us. One ether we call the source field, kind of David Wilcox named it that, I guess. Uh, and it's just in our solar system. And parts of it can be compressed to make three different kinds of souls. There's biological souls that are life like us. And there's, there's 18 lines of DNA. And half of them have empathy, get souls that have empathy for others, and half don't. And three kinds on each side can become people. The ones that have empathy for others 
are uh, mammals, birds, and vegetable. They can they can become people, and uh, and they're considered positive, have empathy for others. And the kinds that are don't have empathy and are usually negative, but not always, are reptilians, insects, and spiders. <laughs> and and they they're in the service to self. Usually, usually they got negative leadership, you know, um, when you communism type of government, probably a lot or something like that. So you're saying you're saying collectivism, which is, you know, we can summarize fascism, socialism, communism, whatever label you want to ascribe it to. We can call it collectivism. And if we look at the insect world, see, uh, you know, ants or bees or wasps. They always work for the queen. The, co- the whole collective has to work together. You're saying that in the the, 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 the human species, this is what's happening? Um, oh, you, you mean when there's reptile people or insect people? Well, because you have these people who you're saying work for self or service to self. But you look at the insect world, yeah. all these ants are not working for themselves. They're working for a common collective. Right, but they're... But they're Stealing if they if they can steal stuff or eat other species or to do the not so friendly moves they're 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 doing that as a species as well, a survival mechanism. It's, it's I guess it's like that with the empathy for others, but but the ones that have empathy for others they care more about the other members that are with. And, and they care about the other species that live with them, where the ones without empathy don't. That's basically the difference. But, yeah, they can work together, too, to, for a common goal. But the common goal may not be wholesome or may not have uh, moral values to it or whatever. Like re- reptilians will try to take over a planet that – that has mammal people that that is new and don't have technology. They'll try to go in and, and take over the planet and run it and steal its resources and control the people and that kind of thing. And the insects and spiders may do that also. And if you trade with them or try to share things with them, they'll they won't be honorable in their deals as often as the other kind would be. They'll steal it and get you out of business in a way. So when it comes to these souls that are half empathetic and half that are not, who decides that? Is there a, is it the creator that decides who will have empathy and who will not? What I'm told is the, the creation star kicks out an oversoul and somewhere in the process the oversouls ask if it wants to be responsible for matter uh, and if it says yes then it's it's given empathy for others and if it says no then it doesn't get empathy and it's in charge of empty space in first density and then when it moves up to second density, the ones with empathy will get the real high life forms like mammals and birds. 
and the ones without empathy will get the lower forms like uh, reptiles and insects. Are you saying that other that our souls have been other species in the past? Um, our the oversoul we come from in first density, each soul split up sixteen more ways. So an oversoul can be twenty two to thirty two souls. So let's say that to make the math easy, let's say it has thirty souls. Uh, so in first density, it would have 480 little souls, and it would be responsible to keep matter made. Supposedly, the creator makes the matter, but it, it can kind of become undone or unmade, and the souls have to keep it made. So each one of them little souls is assigned a little part of matter, like maybe a pond or, or a corner of a mountain or something. And this, the soul for three cycles keeps that matter made, but there's two higher souls to watch to, in case it slacks off and ain't doing its job and it'll fill in for them. And that goes on for three cycles. And, and each oversoul is rated on how good it did. And then it goes on to the second density. And now it only splits about four ways. So it'd be like 120 little souls. And, and they can, they can be, uh, there's nine different things. I guess it can be, uh, mammals, birds, fish, and major sea life. There's an animal group not on earth. And then for the plants, there's flowers, trees, vegetables, grasses that includes ferns and herbs and stuff. And then there's uh, microbes for digestion and decay. And it'll start out with the lower life forms among those. And toward the end of the three cycles, move up to the higher life forms. So after those six cycles, each oversoul is rated on how well it did. And then it, it gets ready to, then it goes into third density. So the the higher the oversoul is rated, he gets to pick where he, where he's gonna live on Earth, what what uh, group of people he wants to join, and if it has a real high rating, is it, it you know what what would you if you were an oversoul and you didn't have any prejudice about being white or black or anything. You know, what, what would you pick? Would you would you want to be a white person in Europe? Would you want to be a black person in Equatorial Guinea? Uh, would you uh, would you want to be uh, Oriental in Korea? You know, you'd have all those choices. You, you mean Asian? You mean and that's Asian? Why, and, and that's why all the races and all the groups aren't equal. Well, let why me ask you this. Let me ask you this. When it comes to that, you're denoting choice. Is there a choice when somebody comes to incarnate here? I want to incarnate as a black person or as an Asian person or as a white person. Do you determine that or, or are you learning because of your past life and the errors and the mistakes that you made? And now you're experiencing that from the other side. The oversoul picks what group it's in and it stays in that group for the whole cycle. So in other words, if you decide to be Korean, everybody in the oversoul for the whole 26 
25,920 years is is going to be Korean or or German or Chinese or whatever, or you pick South African or Zulu or whatever. So what I, I'm saying, it's or so when it starts, it'll it'll pick what ethnic group it's going to go in and, and where it's going to live. It can look ahead and see what each race does. See see what kind of life it has over over the twenty five thousand nine hundred twenty years. You know, some of the time, some races are going to be flying high and and have a big empire and everybody has a great life. And then 4,000 years later, they're all slaves. And then a thousand years after that, they got it good again. And, and they got a mellow society uh, in paradise or whatever. It'll, they'll see the path of, of that ethnic group. And the, and the oversoul can decide what's, you know, if he's got the, if it's got the highest rating, it's going to pick the best one. And if it's got the lowest rating, it's going to get stuck with what nobody else wanted. And so that's why, that's why some ethnic groups of people are, are more spiritual and, and have a lot of empathy helping everybody and charitable and, and low crime rates and all that stuff. And then other groups have, they're killing each other and they got a lot of crime and they're unsuccessful and what they do, they don't develop any skills. All that comes from getting good or bad oversouls to start with. But if I listen that's, to that's if, why all the ethnic groups aren't equal. But if I listen to everything you're saying, that we have a fifty percent it's like looking at the yin and the yen, right? You know, we have to coexist with the night and the day and the heat and the cold. There's a duality here or polarity. If that's the case, are we ever going to have peace in this world? Because if that's the case, and we need to have war and peace in order for life to continue. Then how does that work? I'm kind of confused at what you said. Okay, let me just rephrase it. You're okay. saying that we have 50% that have empathy is 50% that do not have empathy. That means that we always are going to have war. If we don't have empathy in parts of the world, we're always going to have some kind of conflict. So if this is the case, okay. are we not going to be not, in peace ever? That's true. We're, we're, we're having wars only because there's a, a, a reptilian group incarnated among us that are controlling us. If, if we, there, there's like 450,000 people that have reptilian souls and they don't have empathy for others. And they're, and they're in the control positions to control humanity. And, if, and, and we're in the process of getting rid of these people. And that's, and, and only because of these people we're having wars. If we got rid of all, all these people, there would be enough understanding and good people among us to negotiate and set up everything fairly uh, where there would hardly be. There might be a little bit of war, but you wouldn't have all these countries with big militaries and exercises and drills and huge armies. You wouldn't have any of that. Uh, 
if, if we'd be in the golden age if we got rid of this reptilian group. That's how bad it is. I mean, it, it's horrible what they're doing. Okay, let's talk about that. How do we determine who is a reptilian? How do you just about dowsing, or is there any other way that you're displaying an ability to determine who is a reptilian? Okay, I find out by dowsing, but it, it it's possible that if you could see people's auras, the the people with reptilian souls w would have consistently a different type of aura than we have, and you could tell that way. I, I, they had these aura glasses. I, I bought them, but they don't work. <laughs> but there, there's an aura photo at some of these conferences where you can take your picture. You can get your picture taken and, and see your aura and get a whole book printed about uh, you, you know, about what colors you got and all that. But I'm told that if the reptilian people went in and got their picture taken and it would look way different, but they, they won't go in there and, they, and a reptilian own owns the deal. So that probably ain't going anywhere to help, <laughs> but it might be possible to make some kind of device, some type of glasses that you could look through and tell Edgar Casey has one deal where he tells how to make one, but it's real complicated it has two prisms in it or something i mean you can find the passage if if you look up through edgar casey stuff and read about how to make the device to see someone's aura but you couldn't the device he instructs you to make you couldn't carry around and start looking at people to find out who's a reptilian and it wouldn't work it's too big and wouldn't, wouldn't work out. It, it needs something easier and smaller, and it could probably be made. But you can tell by these people's actions uh, on what they do and, and who they align themselves with and how evil they are. I was gonna, I was gonna ex explain. I'll, I'll explain a over-the-top, exaggerated thing of the kind of thing they would do. Like you heard that you take you take vitamin C is good for you, and almost everybody realizes that, especially with the internet and all that. But years ago, only some of the people knew. But if you don't get vitamin C, you get this disease called scurvy. If you're real low on vitamin C, yes, and your teeth fall out and your gums bleed and you got aches and pains and you look horrible. So anyway. They, what they would do is make a vaccine for scurvy, which you really can't because it, it, but what they would do, they would, they would block, block all advertising on foods that contain vitamin C. And they would sell ready made food, ready made dishes that were real cheap equitable that everybody could buy and contain no vitamin C. And then they would arrange for the foods to be high in vitamin C to, to make them hard to get and make them real expensive so people would avoid them. But what's your point about uh, the vitamin C? I'm trying to, to yeah, see what pers the perspective you're using. Right, I was going to go four or five steps to the getting the vaccine. I would say okay. for first, then they would wait till somebody got scurvy. And somebody would come out and say, just give them vitamin C, 
and then they would call him a fraud and arrest him for fraud and and start a big deal and block all vitamin C scale sales and say you do jail time if you do vitamin C. And they would call it a scam on uh, anybody that talked about it. They would block you and call for jail time. And then when they saw families get it, they would call scurvy a pandemic. And then they'd form government groups for investigating it. And then they, and then the vaccine that they were already working on, they would start selling the vaccine and, and try to make it that you had to take it mandatory. You're describing, yeah. Gary, you're describing the Hegelian dialectic, the problem, the yeah, reaction, and the solution, one, all provided. One more yeah. After one or two years, the scam would be discovered, and then they would stop blocking vitamin C and act like nothing ever happened, and nobody would be punished for any of the crime and all that. I mean, that's, they're, they're doing that kind of stuff all over society and have been for thousands of years. Well, they're doing that with with scurvy. They were they're doing that with cholesterol. They're doing it with so many things, and I wouldn't even doubt it if they're doing it with COVID nineteen. They are, yeah. They they haven't identified a virus. Uh, so what are they testing for? What are they vaccinating for? The, the the I've asked over and over again, and looked it over and over and over, and I don't think there's any positive benefits from this vaccine at all. I don't so supposedly if you get COVID it lowers the symptoms. I don't think it does I don't think it can do that or it does that. I think the vaccine is a hundred percent negative. Well if the virus has not been isolated ever, how can they make a vaccine? And by the way, this is not a vaccine. This is gene right. therapy. A- this is simply gene therapy And what's going to happen next year? I mean, a lot of our mothers are being vaccinated. And I have a list of websites that are giving me on a daily basis who's being affected, killed, uh, you know, uh, so many miscarriages happening right now. What's going to happen in the future? I hear that. Uh, I hate to even mention it because you might get this program shut down. But I'm hearing that the oh, the gene therapy, if a man gets the vaccine, he might become infertile and by impregnating or trying to impregnate a woman it's going to pass the genes in with the sperm to the the uh, future mother and if women get it they're going to become infertile so is this a depopulation mechanism that they're introducing to lower the population to 800 million right they're 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 trying to mass murder humanity they They're trying to get the population down to that 500 million, like on the Georgia Guidestones, maybe. But they, they, they want to keep their numbers up and they want to control, they want to own and control everything. Right, right now, they got a population of, of, of about 450,000, I'm told, and they got 80% of the money and they own 20% of the hard assets. And so the other 20% of the money is among the 7.8 billion. And they're, and they're trying to bleed us for that whenever they can on taxes and fines and, and scams and whatever they can do. And by the way, Gary, you probably have heard me mention the website legal.com, right? Mm-hmm. 
So I've mentioned yeah, that before. I mentioned that in, by the year 2025, the population and GDP would go down by two thirds. Well, someone came to me the other day saying, Mel, check Deagle.com again. They've revised the numbers to even lower than that. Wow. They, they got some ways of looking into the future. They got something called a yellow book and some other mechanism that they, they can uh, look ahead to see what's happening. And apparently that's what they're going by. But I think some things are going to happen that they're not aware of that's going to stop it. Have you doused if Project Looking Glass is real or just fiction? I get real. That That's the uh, where they uh, look ahead in the future and see see what, what's happening in the future. Correct, correct. He had a small item they got on one of the uh, ET ships called a yellow book or something like that. And each person that looks on that sees a a future reality that that is right for them or for them or whatever. Anyway, that they're staying ahead of what they're doing by using that stuff. But I don't think, and a lot of people think this uh, brown dwarf star is coming in right now. Uh, I've been told you're going to see it any day now, see a second sun in the sky. Apparently, it's it's either still too far away or it's too close to the sun, and you can't see it yet. But supposedly, any day now, and maybe uh, June or something like that, it goes in a kill zone to where it comes uh, close to the sun and Earth and causes major gravitary fluctuations. So there'll be big earthquakes, tsunamis, and volcanoes going off. And could cause a lot of people to die, especially in coastal areas like I am. I I have a hard time getting out of here because my wife don't believe in any of this stuff. And, and all her friends are here and she has a real good job here. She's a dealer in the casino. Uh, so she don't want to leave all that and, and move inland like I suggested years ago and you know, some other, I know one guy, he moved to Montana. But hold it right there, Gary, because we need to break both segments. When we come back, tell me that story. I also want you to, you have your dowser rod with you, right? Yeah. Dowsing rod with you. Of course. Obviously, you are an avid dowser, and I want to be able to give you names. I want to have questions that you can answer, specific questions about yeah. our future, because I, th I think this is the most important part of what we're going to be discussing today, what's ahead of us. Many things are happening in Washington. Uh, again, I do not want to give people hopium at all, but there are many, many things that I question about the way things are. When you look at the White House at night, the flags that are being waved there, and the, the, the way President Biden, if we can use that term president with him, uh, the way he's behaving, the things he's saying, too many questions, and I want to be able to douse for that and give us an answer. How can people learn more about your work, uh, solicit your services, and so on, Gary? Well, it's just one way, and that's to go to my website, which is real simple and easy to remember. I checkyoursoul.com. And the main thing I do is do soul reports for people. And 
a consultation comes with that. And right now, for new people, I'm charging 75. And you get, you get the statistics on your soul, and then you get to talk with me for uh, um, close to an hour or something like that, depending on how it goes. And I'll help you in any way I can spiritually. I end up helping a lot of people in all different ways spiritually, way more than I ever thought I could. So when somebody somebody contacts you, Gary, when someone contacts you, what information do you need in order for you to be able to produce that report? I just I just need their I just need their name and a, and a email address to send the information to. But you don't need a birth date. You don't need a birth date. No, but. I invite people to send any information they want to to help me. Uh, ha having their age, their gender, their race, and where they live uh, helps a little bit. Well, But it's it's I can do it without it. Well, asking for gender these days, uh, that's kind of a tricky question, but I'm not going to go there. But Gary, let's. Some people have a weird name where you can't tell the gender. And oh, I know that. I know some that. Some regular names like Stacy. Stacy that could be either male or female. Oh yeah, there's uh, a bunch of them. Ryan, uh, Riley, yeah, Mel. A lot of them, yeah. Yes, yes. Anyway, okay. let's take a break. Let's take a break. Let's come back, full force. Let's take our gloves off, and let's just dig deeper. I'm here with Gary Peter Carlson from iCheckYourSoul.com. We'll be right back with another hour in the members section. This is Mel Hostel Rick, and you are listening to Veritas. Thank you for listening to the first part of this important Veritas interview. To listen to the rest and all of our material, proceed to the member section or join the Veritas family by subscribing. Click on the subscribe button at veritasradio.com. You can make your purchase with a credit card, PayPal, cash, check, money order, and even cryptocurrency. We are now accepting Bitcoin, Litecoin, and Ethereum. Don't forget to visit the Veritas store for Focus Life Force Energy, MMS, CBD Pure Hemp Oil, Divinia Water, Pure Organic Sulfur, flash drives with all our Sanitas and Veritas seasons, and other great products. And if you're listening on YouTube, like, subscribe, and share it. And click the bell to be notified when new interviews are available. Now, proceed to the members section or subscribe to listen to the rest of the interview. You don't want to miss it. Thank you for listening to Veritas. Because you don't want to believe. You want to know. <laughs>